Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastall, The C86 Show. This is a, a little bit of a special because um, quite recently I spoke to a member of the Medieval Babes, one of the founder members, Catherine Blake, to find out more about life, love, poetry, basically what it's like to be in the Medieval Babes and also her life in music. This is the interview and this is the first part where I began by reminiscing about hearing the band 20 years ago. And um, she replied that the band had been going a lot longer than that. Anyway, this is the interview. Over to Catherine. It's longer ago than that. I mean, the band was formed in 96, and um, I think we put our first album at the end of 97, I think it was, Christmas at Salvanos. So, yeah, it's been... It's, we're getting on for 20... We're going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary. <laughs> yes. Well, I can <laughs> remember... Well, there was the, the one in 98 that you brought out... Um, Wellis Bliss. Was it 98? Okay, yeah. Salvanoff. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I can't I mean... remember if it was 97 or 98. I mean, I could Google it up. You know, <laughs> you always find out things that you can't remember through Google these days. So. I know, but well, it's always yeah. handy. So that that was kind of obviously one of the things, that particular album, it was a particularly red cover. I just remember it came out, we kind of got kind of excited and slightly blown. And then there was this kind of the best Christmas Carol album in the world ever that came out on Virgin. And you did a yeah, which which wasn't really that the best one because we were yet to do that, which is of Kings and Angels. I mean, that wasn't kind of our decision to do that. They just decided to, you know, put a bunch of songs together and call it a Christmas album. But it's out of Kings and Angels. It's a proper sort of, I mean, that's got lots of sort of out interpretations of um, sort of more well-known Christmas carols as opposed to medieval music. I mean, yes. Well, that was the... the yeah. I know the, the Steel Ice band didn't um, originally do it, but, well, it, it, that was the one that I remember, Gaultete. I think that's how you yeah. vaguely pronounce it. yeah. And that was the one that was always one of my favourite songs of all time. Yeah. And then when I heard you do it as well, it kind of obviously was kind of, you know... It was just love at first sight, really. I just thought, God, that's so, so beautiful. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't, you know. Glad so to th- hear it. And, and then I sort of remember you were touring with Jules Holland around that time as well or sometime that's soon. That's right, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah, it. Yeah, around the UK, yeah. So just kind of, just give us a bit of a background. How did your sort of, the band and your own musical life start, so to speak? Well, I mean, I went to, I've, been, I've got a classical edu, um, classical music education. I went to a place called the Purcell School of Music, which is like a full-time music school. And I've always really loved early music. Like my parents used to take me to the Wigmore Hall when I was a child. And, um, I, and when I was 20, I put out my first album, which was Elizabethan Madrigals. Yes. With my old band, Miranda Sex Garden. And that sort of morphed into a kind of goth rock band. And I think it, after doing sort of doing rock music for a while, I thought how lovely it'd be just to do something really simple again that wouldn't have wouldn't involve any guitars deafening me and untangling leads and all the rest of it. So I just got some friends together, and just purely on a recreational basis to start with, taught them some medieval songs, and I thought it'd be really interesting to try out some untrained voices yes. um, working with this material that was kind of very raw, and I thought suited it better than trained voices. And so that's how it started, and it was just it was initially just a, a bunch of friends who um, really surprisingly just sounded really great, and we were having so much fun doing it, we decided to keep going, and, you know, lots of audiences were enjoying our stuff, and... And that was when we thought we'd try and get a record deal, which miraculously happened. Yes, <laughs> and then absolutely. it ended up at, well, the, our first album ended up, I think it was number two in the classical charts. 
So it's so, kind of quite an extraordinary story, really. It was, because obviously most people who have a little moment in that world of music, you know, and I've yeah. done a lot of interviews. I do another show called The C86 Show, which, um, yes, mostly is indie bands from that period. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you probably remember them all, don't you, from that kind of gothic period. Yeah. Um, you know, they have like five years where they'll do their stuff and then they think, God, that that industry, that career is a bit damaging and then give it up and then come back about 30 years later and start playing music. Yeah, again. yeah. But being well, in, I've stuck at it, haven't I? You have <laughs> stuck at it for not just years, but decades. So how was your experience yeah. with being in the Miranda Sex Garden, which obviously is a great name for a band, isn't it, for a start? Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't choose it. I've never, I don't actually, I didn't come up with the name. It was actually a friend of a friend came up with it. And I, I once, I, I bumped into the person who, whose idea it was at a, at, a, at a gig, actually, at the garage in Islington, and, he, and I, he was a total stranger, and he said, oh, I'm so-and-so, and I, I actually came up with your name. I'm like, thank you. Because, <laughs> yeah, it was quite, you know, quite a charismatic name. Well, it was. But, yeah, um, yeah, so actually, well, um, yeah, so I, I, I ran a sex concert, disbanded around 1994, and then we sort of got back together in 2000 and put, up our, put out our final album, which was Carnival of Souls. And that was around the time I did Undrantide with the Medieval Babes. Yes. But, um, but you know, it, it, it was a really interesting mix of stuff because it, it sort of used my kind of classical background, you know, and there, was, there was lots of vocal harmonies. There was initially three three female vocalists in it and mixing that with a more sort of experimental kind of gothic electronic sound. Was, and, I, you know, I think it made for quite a, a unique unique sort of flavour in the music. Absolutely. And what was quite boggling was that during that period, you you released about three or four albums almost a year for sort of, yeah, the early 90s, which which is an incredible output. That must have mean you were... I don't know about three or four a year. No, no, (laughs) but three or four... No, you put out one a year for about three or four years. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Which is... yeah, yeah, that was back in the days when I didn't have any children and not many, not much, not many other responsibilities. So it's, you know, these days I seem to spend longer on the albums. Like my, my, you know, my most recent album, Pocket Full of Posies, ended up taking four and a half years. I mean, there were there were twenty nine tracks on it, so that probably explains one of the reasons why it took so long. Yes, but you know, and also having a home studio means you can just fiddle around with stuff ad infinitum. Whereas back then you had like two weeks books in the studio, went in and did it, and that was it. You know, so I think the process has changed a lot over the years. Yes, and I, and I, music, you know. And and were you? I mean, you mentioned your sort of classical background, but were you also into the kind of the bands like the Mission, the Cure, the Cult? You know, not really, not not particularly. No, no. I mean, I quite like the Cure. I was never that into the Mission. I've always been, always loved Nick Cave. He's yes, definitely. You know, in a, of a gothic persuasion, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and another band called the Swans. That they were quite a big influence on around the Sex Garden. I'd say particularly the guitarist Ben Gollumstock. Sadly, no longer with us, but he was definitely influenced by them. God, I loved the Swans. They were such a dense yeah. band. Was that a sound that you were particularly trying to emulate on, on the Miranda? I think some of it, some of the inst- instrumentation was inspired by them, yes, for sure, yeah. Yes. So then, obviously, you, you sort of had that was your, well, what, not probably your first, but, you know, it was pretty major for, for most people to have that amount of excitement. But then to sort of have yeah. such huge kind of 
chart-bound success with the medieval babes. Did you, you obviously, well, the lucky thing is you had a little bit of preparation, didn't you, with that experience? Indeed, of even, yes. Yes. That kind of because yeah. a lot of people, you know, you know, you probably realise thousands of people want to make it. They don't, and a few people do, and then you're not prepared for it. And before you know it, you've just kind of on the up roller coaster until you sort of splat into a brick wall. But but obviously, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to keep it going somehow. You, you know. have you have ducked yeah. and dived and managed to survive. It hasn't, which is... hasn't been easy. You know, it is quite challenging. You know, particularly you know because I'm a single mum, so trying to juggle everything has been problematic, you know, particularly going on tour and stuff because, you know, I've got, got these children, you know, I've got to, they've got to be looked after by someone. But I but it's you know, it's it's so it's so it's such a defining part of who I am that I've always managed to find a way to keep going. Well absolutely. I mean I think, you know, that that's kind of an interesting subject that I think a few people are going to be writing books on as how how sort of you you sort of want to have a musical career but have children and family yeah. and go through that whole the aging yeah. process which is kind of yeah. has never really been spoken about because not many people yeah. keep in it they just it's either drop it's difficult when you're on, on your own with the children because their father died about four and a half years ago so it's been particularly difficult you know but I've got such a strong like network of friends and family who help out that I've you know managed to keep it going you know yes and also the, the interesting thing is 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 kind of having the dynamics so obviously yeah it's kind of is it your band, you know, the Medieval Babes? Or are you it the... is, yes. Well, I, I mean, I, I formed the band. It was my idea, and I write the majority of the music. Um, well, these days I write all of it, actually. But, um, yes, well, apart from a few tracks I co- co-arranged with Charlie Kaywood on the last album. But, yeah, it's kind of all me, yeah. Yes. In terms of the writing the stuff and, you know, the, the, the general musical direction of the band, yeah. And also... Because this, you have a new album out, which came out this year, which is, which is the one on the the nursery rhymes, which is quite an interesting. That's right, yeah. A pocket full of poses. Yes, it is. I mean, it was it was always my. When I became a mother, I was kind of appalled by the lack of quality in the children's music that was available. And I just thought it's such a shame because when children are, you know, when you're really young, your brain is like a sponge, and you're so open to weird and wonderful and imaginative things and I just thought that what was being presented was very unimaginative and also didn't sort of represent the darkness that is very inherent in a lot of nursery rhymes so that was that was what inspired me to make this album it took a very long time but you know I'm extremely proud of the results and and I like the idea that it's something the whole family can listen to together because it's there's a lot of sort of psychedelic um um, elements to it which I think is something that can appeal to all age all ages well absolutely and I do I have to say the the there was one particular one which I find quite fascinating which is oranges and lemons which I think oh is... yeah that's pretty particularly discordant that one yeah. <laughs> I mean the idea of that one is that I guess the idea is you've got all the different bells chiming at once and I guess they wouldn't you know they all the, the, the bells in different churches wouldn't be in the same key would they so the idea is that they're all kind of chiming against each other, and it all sort of works, but in quite a discordant, experimental sort of way. Yes, and it's and just... also it because and the subject, one of the interpretations of the of of that particular rhyme is that that it's, it could be about chopping off Henry the Henry the um, Henry the Eighth's wife's head. So I thought, you know, here comes a chopper to chop off your head. If you you know, it's good to have that sort of nasty dissonant moment in there, you know. Well, because I, you know, because an awful lot of them does have, do have that. I'm not sure if it's even the subtext, but that is just like, yeah, blah, blah, black sheep. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, the, yeah, I use discordance in that one because of the idea of 
the black sheep of the family being sort of sort of a wrong one in some way. So I tried to make the harmony sound a little bit wrong, but you know, an unsettling. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was what that was about. <laughs> yes, and you have a tour that is also coming, which is going to be finishing at Norwich Cathedral on the nineteenth. Of... Yes, it culminates in Norwich. So you know, looking forward to. Drinking some mulled wine at the end of that one. <laughs> and also, I was um, just thinking, it, it is literally taken up to the winter solstice as well. So it that's right, yeah, a huge relief. So have you been to? Yeah. you must have. You have obviously played in Norwich because I think you were here with the Jules Holland Band, actually, weren't you? We well, we've played Norwich Cathedral. I don't know, maybe about five or six times now. I've lost count, but I mean, it's definitely one of the more spectacular places that we we were lucky enough to perform in. Yes. And for, for somebody who's, you know, both a musician, writer and a vocalist, I mean, what's your, yeah. what's the, I wouldn't say the secret, but what are the habits that you have to sort of preserve your voice? And, and Well, it is, it is, it's quite difficult, actually, because when, when you're, on, a, when you're on, a, on traveling around with a bunch of women, there is a tendency for everyone to get quite hysterical and, and giggle about stuff. And and that, but that can be <laughs> problematic for the voice because what you're supposed to do after a show is just rest your voice. But we 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 just sort of hype each other up into this kind of frenzy and can end up cackling about you know the most ridiculous stuff. And it's quite hard to sort of rein it in and remember that you've got a gig the next day. <laughs> well, absolutely, yes. And it must be quite a, because you've been together. You you've gone beyond the five year narrative. I have this great theory about the five year narrative from my other show, which is, you know, bands get together, they they create a sound. You know, John Peel would sort of play it, and then you know they would get a session. Yeah. Then the first album, things were going generally well. The second album, mm, not so well. And if anybody ever toured America, the, the it, difficult second album, the difficult yeah, second. Syndrome, and, yeah. and if anybody ever toured America, especially from the UK, it seemed to be the yeah. the end of the band because they would just come back and say, and they, you know, within the interview, they would often have that rolling moment where they get and we toured America and then we came back and never saw each other again because we just had the classic model five-year model yeah (laughs) the five-year model so but because you've been this quite a tight group you must have been through everything that you could possibly go through as a group of people yeah well there's been a lot of different lineups over the years um which I think is one of the reasons it, that it's kept going because it's that freshness of people coming in with new ideas and 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 sort of fresh energy that I think keep keeps it exciting you know and and I mean there's you know I, I'm the only person that's actually been in it for the whole time but Marie Findlay actually was in it at the beginning and then she had a she fell in love and moved to America and took a sort of 10 year get 10 year break and then came and then came back so it's so great to have someone from the original lineup back in the band who remembers what it was like in the very early days. And also great for when you're doing interviews because she was there at the beginning and can share all the stories and verify I'm not making it up. <laughs> yes. Does it feel like you're holding the baton then, so to speak, with this particular Very band? much so, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, cause, you know, because I know there's a few bands, obviously Marky Smith being one of the more, more famous. Yeah. You had a very big lineup, you know, past members. Has it sort of been difficult dealing with that, that side of life kind of emotionally, sort of having to sort of seeing people come and go? You must feel like a mobile HR unit. Well, it's happened... So many times now people have left and, you know, obviously it's upsetting when people go, but I know that new people always come in. So history tells me that there's no reason that 
to be worried because, you know, someone else will come along. So that's what's always happened. You know? Yes. And obviously, you know, you've got your classical, the golf background. I mean, folk, early yeah. sort of medieval folk music must also sort of be a, another passion because there was there was a kind of a, a, a Cady band that used to sort of tour. And I think they're still going called Blowsabella, who were famous for the hurdy-gurdy sound. And that's one of right, those. Right, OK. In, those, it's one of those instruments you often... I think you've often heard on on sort of uh, the medieval babes as well. So does do you sort of try and draw in from as many different backgrounds as possible? Well, we've got so many so many different instruments have been used on the last album, in particular. Charlie Kaywood, our multi instrumentalist, is sort of obsessively kind of collects all these very weird and old exotic instruments, like lots of Chinese lutes and the saz and. Um, he, he plays sitar actually, not that he's played that on one of our albums, but and then there's the the oud and the lyre and the zither and the, we've got some hurdy on that album as well. And um, you know, there's fortunate enough to have a lot of you know extraordinary ancient and inspiring instruments at our disposal. The, the hurdy's been a staple though from the beginning. We um, uh, a, a woman, this woman called Dorothy Carter, who I sort of formed the band with initially, um, is unfortunately no longer with us. It was her hurdy-gurdy that was one of the inspirations for the medieval babe sound. I always thought it was the, the kind of 15th century equivalent of fuzz guitar, you know, just sort of dirty things up a bit yes. in an organic way, not not by having to plug in, which is nice. I do love the drone. I kind of, there is a drone. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned the swans because I also quite enjoyed that kind of sound that they yeah. created, this kind of wall of noise, which was quite stunning. Yeah, yeah. Really. And also, because you've been doing this for a long time, is it the case that you've been sort of seeing members of the audience that have been with you all the time and then sort of also new people who are discovering you um, for the first time as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I mean our, our fan base is, you know, fortunately for us, in does seem to be quite loyal and I think one of the reasons for that is because th- there isn't really anything else like the medieval babes so it's not like you're going to go oh I'm bored of that now here comes a, a, a more modern trendy version of the medieval babes because there really isn't anything else like it that mixes that kind of that, that combination of early music and fantasy and um, sort of avant-garde music you know it's we're kind of out there on our own which sometimes makes it difficult for people to know where to place us but you know it, it, but I do really enjoy the fact that it is it is unique it's a unique phenomenon yes you must have been filed in virtually every section of a record shop really must yeah you? I mean <laughs> if, you, if you go to like the sort of Amazon charts or the iTunes like genre kind of um, label bit it, it's it's been put under everything like you know like new age classical um, indie you know that just so many different categories have been absolutely attributed to belonging to you probably shared the same space as Enya on many occasions because actually I I just was realizing you know being one of those people who was a bit obsessed with John Peel and he introduced us to so many different music and and sounds and I suppose one of them was kind of bands like uh, from the from Africa were like the you know the Bundu boys and the four brothers and also Sweet Honey on the on the rocks I think that's it so yeah yeah, we've slightly (laughs) had the those kind of choirs that had come over to the you know UK and and Europe that you know obviously kind of enjoyed and you know the WOMAD so actually the medieval babes you know I was just thinking you are right you know there, there's a lot of kind of choirs that have you know have sprung up in every city and every town and which is fantastic because people have sort of discovered their voice but you probably do have a bit of a monopoly actually on on a, a band and a combo that have been going for this amount of time and with this amount of yeah. releases so that must be you must think 
great. I don't have to have a, the conventional, you know, you know, group lineup of drums, bass, a guitar. You can. Yeah, you know, yeah, it is very refreshing to to have gotten away from that. You know. I know, though it's a big ask. What do you have, you know, vaguely planned when once this kind of year's over, which has obviously been quite massive for doing the album and then this tour. I just wonder if you, there's a kind of a thought in your back of your mind thinking. Ne- yes, my next oh, my next plan is I mean I've, 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 it's it's very embryonic at the moment, but I want to write a an album using um, setting ancient um, Arabic female poetry to music, and I I did one song on on our album The Hunters called Clasp of a Lion, which is a solo I'll be performing actually at, um, on this tour. And it just gets such a great reaction from people. People seem to love the sort of, it's very sort of sensual, exotic, um, uh, very hypnotic quality to the song. And, it, you know, and I'm singing in a, la- a language that's so obscure, which I find really inspiring. It'd be the equivalent of singing in Anglo-Saxon, it, it, the Arabic equivalent of Anglo-Saxon. Yes. And so I've decided I'd like to write a whole album using that kind of text. But instead of just me singing solo, actually write some harmonies for it, which will make it not very authentically Arabic because they never sing in harmony. But they'll, I'd like to use Arabic instruments and use those kind of scales, but experiment with um, with, with uh, the vocal harmonies. Yes. And I've just I've just had a few little I've, I've got a few little ideas for it that I started working on. But th- this year's all been about getting the out getting the um, pocket full of posies out and, and the tour. But I'll, next year I'll have a lot more time in my hands to start composing again which is in a way that's the thing I love doing most musically I think it's the most challenging for sure you know it's really uh, it's you know it's, it can be quite scary in how you know it, how challenging it is but it's the most rewarding ultimately I think out of all the things I do well I guess at, at the same time you, you you know you must feel slightly naked with the, just the vocal and you don't have a sort of a whole band sort of ripping ripping it up in the background because I, I always remember well I always start with the vocal that that's that's where it always starts with me and I'll write a vocal and then I'll write some harmonies to go with it and I might do some play some strings or do a recorder arrangement or something and then just get various other instrumentalists in but with this album I might try starting from some kind of um, some loops or some drones, just because it's one way of getting a different result is starting from a different place. Yes. And did you, I mean, sort of as you were saying that, I sort of remember, I think her name was Afra Hazard. Afra Hazard, she appeared on the Sisters of Mercy, one of their songs. And also Liz Fraser from the Cotto Twins and This Mortal Coil. Yeah. I mean, her vocal and that kind of way that they... Um, I don't know what they were using, guitar and slight feedback, weren't they? So um, Yeah, it's, it's very sort of effective, loads and loads, very processed, loads of reverb on the vocals, very sort of, it's all like a big wash, wasn't it? And, but using nonsense language, it, which <laughs> made it even more ethereal, I think, you know, yes. more abstract. For us indie kids, we love that. <laughs>